This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. And welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. Uh, let's see. Before I even uh, get rolling into stuff that I'd already prepared for the show, uh, something uh, just as I was uh, scrolling through Facebook, uh, getting things to, you know, distracting myself while I was trying to get stuff together for the show. I mean, just... Within a matter of, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, I saw this headline on something that appears to be uh, getting shared across Facebook uh, um, fre- frequently. Uh, the headline that I saw, and this comes from the 13 News, it a, must be a local news station in, uh, in um, uh, Kentucky, and it's dated today, as I record this, May 24, 2019. It's dated today. And the headline is Kentucky Noah's Ark Attraction Sues Over Flood Damage. <laughs> I'll read that again. Kentucky Noah's Ark Attraction Sues Over Flood Damage. Now, my wife and I, we saw that headline. We had ourselves a nice chuckle. But what do I often say on this show, or I seem to be saying more lately, read the article. Headline's fabulous, but the article doesn't quite back up the headline. The article goes thusly. In the Bible, the ark survived an epic flood. Yet the owners of Kentucky's Noah's Ark attraction are demanding their insurance company rescue them from flooding that caused nearly $1 million in property damage. The Ark Encounter says in a federal lawsuit that heavy rains in 2017 and 2018 caused a landslide on its access road. The Courier-Journal reports the attraction's insurance carriers refused to cover the damages. The wooden, 510-foot-long arc has been a popular attraction in northern Kentucky since 2016 uh, when it opened. The lawsuit says the road has been rebuilt. Uh, The arc was not damaged. The suit names uh, Allied World Assurance Company Holdings of Switzerland, uh, its use uh, its use company, and three other insurance carriers. Uh, Ark Encounter seeks compensation and putative damages. 
the Swiss company hasn't responded to uh, responded in court filings. So okay, it would have been so much more better if the ark itself had been damaged in flooding. It's only slightly ironic now because it was a road leading to the ark. The ark's not damaged by the flood. The road is. And as we know in the ark story, which is a fairy tale, that if any adult believes it, you just should look at them like, seriously, you believe this story? Well, um, the world was covered in a flood, so I'm sure a lot of roads got washed out. That's no problem. The ark survived. The ark is surviving here, too, the, the attraction. But it's the road that was damaged. So the headline loses a little bit of its um, ironic humor. So, all right. So that was uh, something that just popped up just as I was uh, getting things together to come onto the show. What did I have prepared for you? Oh, I got lots of stuff. Uh, let me start with uh, talking about baseball. Oh, I can, I can hear the ears glazing over with some of you, but perking up for others, I hope. Um, I love baseball. You know I love baseball. I enjoy watching the games, and it's just it's just something. There's something about the game I really have grown to love, and I, I do enjoy it. I understand it's not everybody's cup of tea. I watch a bit of a soccer game, and I just go, what's the deal? And that's I have to remind myself, when I do that, when I react, when I watch soccer, and I don't find it interesting that a person that finds soccer interesting but not baseball has that same feeling. What's the big deal? What's the deal here? I have to remind myself that that's it. You know, and it's just, it's what you like. And it's no problem. Okay? Anyway, I want to bring it up because I've mentioned this a couple of times uh, in the past, I think, that or recent past, that the Minnesota Twins, the team that I favor, it's the team, my hometown team, are doing pretty damn well. As of this recording, it might have changed a little bit, but at least of as of the time that uh, earlier today when I was preparing my notes for the show, the Twins had the best record in baseball. Again, the best record. Um, again, it's kind of a percentage points thing, but they've got 33 victories and 16 losses. Uh, and when I last looked at uh, my uh, the MLB uh, update on the game that's currently the Twins are playing currently, the Twins were up in that game as well. So it's possible they could go to 34 and 16. This is really something because we 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 were hoping we I mean Twins fans were hoping the Twins would be better this season, but we didn't see this coming. And another thing that we didn't see coming, we've got like a murderer's row. Our our hitters are going crazy. They are hitting home runs at a better pace than any other team in the majors right now. They're at 98 home runs for the season. They got eight of them in a in a game that just took place. Was it yesterday when they beat um, the the uh, Los Angeles uh, Angels of uh, Anaheim, California, Orange County, whatever? Uh, the Angels, uh, they have a long name. They just beat them 16-7. to And those and five of those seven runs that the that the Angels got came in the uh, in the bottom of the ninth. Must have, you know, at that point they didn't care, but, you know, that's still a lot of runs in one inning. But 
The Twins hit eight home runs that game. Two of the Twins, Twins players hit two home runs each that game. It's, an, it's astounding. So I, I, there's, here's the other thing, though. We Minnesota sports fans are so, I guess you'd say, shell-shocked by our sports teams, with the exception of the Minnesota Lynx, the women's basketball team that does win championships. Uh, but all the other professional teams that we have here don't. And we're just, we're just, I think we're just waiting. Well, yeah, this is going to fail at some point. It's going to, something's going to happen. It's just going to, this can't be, you know, this, we're happy. We're watching them and we're finding it very interesting. But it's just, oh, this, this can't last. Something, something's going to go wrong. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, I had uh, an interesting exchange on my um, on Facebook, and it was between Facebook friends of mine that also happened to be there's two people uh, that also happened to be people that I went to high school with. So I I know these people a little bit more than my typical Facebook friend, and it's these two Facebook friends are little you know they're they're nice people. Uh, they're smart. Uh, you know they've lived life. They've had some. You know they they've have some wisdom. You know this. I mean you know, they're my age. In fact, I'm probably just a little bit older than them. But it's still, you know, we're all in our mid fifties, and I, you know, I don't think of them as mean, cruel, terrible people. I think of them as kind of typical of uh, what what happens on social media. People see a headline, it. An article that happens to fit into their preconceived notions of the world uh, sits, fits into their worldview, and they and they don't really vet it, and they share it. And I'm trying to not do that myself, but sometimes, I mean, it's I have friends. Uh, I have one friend in particular who has who makes sure that I remember that you know don't just stop looking for once you find the source that seems to back up the story that you favor. Look around. Keep looking. Make sure that that you know find other sources that back up that source. If that is you know, you know I favor the most accurate information that is that is possible to be found. Well, I saw this article that was shared by one of the one of my uh, high school classmates, and the headline is uh, Robert De Niro linked to child sex trafficking ring according to court records. Um, this was an article I think that came out uh, in um, 2018. I think it was uh, no, it was February 2019. So it's a few months ago, but it's referring to something that happened in 1996, I believe it was, or 98. I think it's probably yeah, one of those. And anyway, so I saw the headline, and I and I do what I always do when I look at the headlines, I look at the picture, I, I look and see where where is this article coming from? And the article is coming from some site, I think it's a blog, called thewashingtonpundit.com. And I looked, I said, well, I do what I uh, what I almost always do. Uh, at first, I look at some of the comments up there, and you know they're saying, oh, this is sick, and it's very disturbing. I used to like him, and and all that kind of stuff, and and. And then I I come in and I start my first comment is is the Washington pundit a reliable source for news? 
So I start looking it up, and uh, I, I clicked on the site. I look at the article, and I look at other articles that are shared there, and I s notice something. So my next comment was, the site seems a bit on the conspiracy side. Uh, there are no links to any cited sources. I'll dig a little more. The article had no links to where they were getting their information, but I did find the art an article that they mentioned in there, and a lot of the stuff that they put in their, in their piece on this Washington Pundit site was lifted right from that article. I also found uh, a, you know, um, an item on Snopes about this being mostly false. Mostly false. And it's mostly false because uh, they say what's true about it is that yes, uh, De Niro was linked to an investigation into prostitution in, in France. In, uh, I think it was 1998. I think that's what the year was. I wish I would have written it down, but I didn't. Uh, and uh, it was not linked to any kind of child stuff or whatever, but but the article was saying that this, 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 this prostitution ring had ties to child trafficking for, for sex. And De Niro's name came up because one person... One woman that was being investigated mentioned his name. So he was brought in for questioning. He was questioned for nine hours, and he was released uncharged. And that was in 1998. And, and so this is the next thing that I did with this. And I, I have a little hit, history with uh, bucking against the information that's being shared by this particular high school friend of mine. I said, uh, it's looking like your streak of sharing false and or misleading information is intact. You really need to dig a little before sharing this stuff. And I said, I'm going to dig a little more. And then that other high school friend comes in and says, uh, the rumors, but it could be true. She, that's what she says. Is it rumors, but it could be true? Which I responded, could be. How about we find out if they are? And she says, time will tell. It's coming. And I said, it's been 21 years. <laughs> and then she says, I, she starts bringing in Democrats for whatever reason. She says, we're catching up to the Democrats. He, he. I don't know what the hell that means. <sighs> so, um, now, I did make, I made a note to mention this. Snopes does get discredited often. You know why? It gets discredited by those uh, who uh, are inconvenienced by the uh, demonstration that something they believe isn't true, or that they didn't believe is true. See, you know that's that's why that's why Snopes gets uh, discredited. You know, oh, they're just some left-leaning thing, except when they support, you know, or when they clear up something that's not true about uh, some some conservative and then then there's some right-wing thing except when they clear up something that's uh, you know not true about a uh, about a, a progressive person or a left-leaning person okay it continued uh, the original poster he says um, assuming it is false He's asking me this question. He's he's I, I, I take it, but reading. I'll read the whole thing. He said, "Assuming it's false, isn't or wouldn't that be le misleading information?" Huh? Not your style, Jim. 
I believe what he's saying to me is that I saw the article and I assumed it was false. And then I went out to prove that it was false. That's what I think that's he's saying. So I responded to him. I said, I didn't assume it was false. I didn't assume it was true. I looked into it to determine the validity of the claim. I did what I always do. I asked, is this story true? I also looked at who was making the claim. I read the article and I looked for corroborating sources. I found that as far as the claim is concerned, there isn't sufficient evidence to assume De Niro is a pedophile, which is what these people were assuming. And then I said, which seems to be what the headline and this article wants readers to infer. And then, uh, then I thought about it for a little bit, and I closed my comments with this. This is fairly lengthy, but I commented this way, uh, trying to explain something to these um, high school friends of mine. I said, it is true that Robert De Niro was linked to a child prostitution ring in 1998 in France. Actually, I'm not exactly right there. He was linked to a prostitution ring, but he wasn't linked to child prostitution. The ring itself had some sort of connection of child trafficking going on, but De Niro wasn't, but he was linked in there. So I'm kind of, I'm not totally accurate there in what I said, but in 1998 in France, uh, because one person involved mentioned his name, the French authorities questioned the actor for nine hours and then released him uncharged. The linkage is from more than 20 years ago, and I'm unaware of, and I can find no other more recent links to child prostitution or pedophilia concerning De Niro. Again, I'm addressing that headline that's in the article that seemed to be suggesting, well, the headline anyway, that De Niro was a pedophile. Uh, the resurfacing of the story appears to be an attempt to discredit De Niro, possibly in response to his recent anti-Trump statements. I'm a skeptic. When a story seems hinky or is from a source that I've never heard of, my skeptical antenna goes up and I take the time to see how reliable the source is and if the story is credible. Part of my personal skeptical activism is to encourage my friends, and I called them my friends, to vet stories before sharing them on social media. Read the article. Don't just go by the headline. Look for other sources. I even confirm celebrity death notices before commenting or sharing. Remember the, uh, and then I said, remember the nationwide scare about uh, ritual sexual abuse at uh, daycare centers all over America that ran rampant in the, uh, uh, in the 80s? The McMartin case in California, Jordan, Minnesota. I did talk about Jordan, Minnesota a couple, couple few weeks ago. Well, it turned out that it was an unfounded panic sparked by well-meaning parents, social workers, teachers, politicians, and prosecutors. But there was no vast ritual child sex abuse going on in this country. I bring it up because... As those cases finally began to fall apart, investigators were beginning to doubt the claims. The claims became more and more outlandish. The supporting evidence was just not there. And one claim that helped the unraveling was that one child mentioned Chuck Norris was one of the abusers. So we can rightly say that Chuck Norris was linked to the ritual child sexual abuse at daycares throughout America in the 1980s. The statement would be true. But would it be fair to Mr. Norris? I'm asking you to be skeptical.
So yeah, you know, that was the exchange and the original poster. You know, the, he said that he, he said he he tried to do a better job and, and all that. And then today he shared a notice of uh, Roger Moore having died, uh, and he says R.I.P. You know, Roger Moore, rest in peace. And I said, and I responded. Uh, because you know it's so easy to just open the link and see what the date of the article is. Roger Moore died two years ago, two years and a day from when I'm recording this. It was May 23rd, 2017 that he died. And, and I said, I you know, and I my usually when somebody puts up a, a death notice of somebody who'd been dead for a few years or a couple of years, I said I usually just put the comment again. And <laughs> so. You know, look at it. Just open it up. The art, the date's right there. You know, that's like I said. I, I even before when I was giving my long little my long response there, right in the middle, I say I even check, double check celebrity death notices before I comment on the post or if I share it. I make sure that they that they first that they really are dead, and that it's you know that it's that it's it's fact, and second that they did just die and didn't die three or four years ago. <sighs> well, what can you do? It's uh, it's just, uh, that's how it goes. So, anyway, um, I'm going to head to my break now, and you are listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network. This is my first break. I'll be heading away. I'll be back shortly. Uh, I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'll be right back. Mean, mean pride. Well, I'll be You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ZTalkRadio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. Don't just take my word for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Get him some Z's. Get him some Z's. Get him some Z's. Wake up! Listen to Z Talk Radio. On ZTalkRadio.com.
and welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Sorry, I was looking away from the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying to get all my stuff in order. Uh, I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, let's see. Um, who knows? I, 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 sh- I, I'm, I shouldn't be surprised, but ghost hunting is still a thing, apparently. And the other day, I saw a, a teaser ad for a local talk show. It's called The Jason Show, and it's hosted by a fellow named Jason Matheson. And uh, I never watch the show because I'm working, usually. And he, um, in his teaser, which runs on during the Fox Morning News that I watch, the Fox 9 Morning News, it's the local news, he says that uh, coming up on the show later today, whatever day that was, he would be having ghost hunters on. And they're going to be presenting evidence of an unbelievable haunted house in New Orleans. And I thought, unbelievable seems like an interesting and probably pretty accurate choice of wording. Unbelievable. So I thought, all right, fine. Uh, I got a TV at work. So I, I get to work and I put it on when his show's on and I sit through whatever he does. And then finally he brings in this, I thought it was going to be more than one, but it was just one woman. Her name is uh, uh, Dawn McLean. She's part of the Twin Cities Paranormal Society. She investigates haunted houses with this paranormal society. And uh, she's also a dream interpreter. And I believe she believes her stuff. I don't think she's... I, I believe her. She's, she's smart. She's, she's sincere. She, you know, she's, you know, she's not nuts. She's not crazy. You know, I don't think any of those things about her. Uh, uh, she's just not a skeptic, and she just and I don't think her threshold for evidence is as high as as mine is. So I watched this. They talk about it. So okay, so um, she and uh, I guess other investigators went to New Orleans to investigate some haunted stuff down there. Apparently, New Orleans is the most ha- haunted city in America. Whatever. <laughs> you can claim it, but how can you ever prove it? Right? How can you establish that it's actually haunted? I mean, is anything ever haunted? I mean, I myself have never been... i, I got to say that. I've never done any of these, you know, ghost hunting things. I've never been in a haunted house. My suspicion is neither has any of these ghost hunters. They might think they've been in one, but uh, my guess is they probably haven't because I don't think there are anything such thing as haunted houses. I'm waiting for good evidence. So I thought, I'll watch. I'll see what she says. There were supposed to be photographs involved. Well, there is a photograph. They show a picture of a stovetop. Okay. I mean, you know, it's not in the, it, it wasn't in the night vision lensing camera thing, what they do. It was just, just a picture of a stovetop that looked kind of messed up. Anyway, she <clears throat> they went to New Orleans, and they consulted with a psychic, uh, Maria Shaw, was also a friend of the show, apparently, and she lives down there in New Orleans. But apparently, she uh, occasionally she comes up and she appears on Jason's show to do, you know, cold reading for the audience. Uh, well, what could be cold reading? I can't say for sure that it is, but that's my guess is that's what's going on, um, whether she knows it or not. Anyway, so she believes herself to be skeptic, uh, psychic, and so okay, fine, I'm, I'm willing to allow. You know, so she believes it. I, she's not pulling one. You know, she's not faking it. I'm willing to give her that. Um. Okay. So, 
she suggests that they go to this, uh, there's a shop called, uh, I think it's called uh, Bloody Mary's Haunted Voodoo Shop. It's got haunted stuff in there, haunted dolls and whatever. And the second floor is an apartment. And apparently, uh, not long after her, Hurricane Katrina, there was a there was a couple, that met, a man and a woman, they met each other and got involved with each other just after Katrina, and then they lived in this apartment up there, and at some point, for whatever reason, the man murdered the woman, and they said that the stove had something to do with the ghastliness of this of this murder. Uh, but they wouldn't say exactly what, because it's a daytime show, kids might be watching, They're, they don't want to get into details. So she said, we can, you can look it up on our site and whatever, but I, would, I didn't bother. I just, okay, whatever. I don't know what, you know. And... Her evidence. Well, it's a story. She got a, there's, there was a murder in the apartment, and apparently strange things happened in there, but I don't, I don't recall her listing off any of the strange things, but I don't know. For some reason, they think it's haunted. And they had this murder there. So there's a creepy story about a murder in the apartment. The second piece of evidence she present, gave us, anecdotal, she says uh, when she, the moment she entered the apartment... She felt this heavily charged uh, spirit to the place. It was just this dark, heavily charged. She says, I've been in places before where I've gotten this sense before, but nothing as strong as that. That was just, <gasps> she felt it. Now, I, I, she, I don't think she claimed to be psychic or anything or a medium or anything. She didn't, but apparently she, she must have some stuff going on you know, or believe that she does. Now, I didn't know... Well, okay. Then the third piece of evidence was an EVP, an electronic voice phenomena, which is, I didn't know that was still something. I thought that went the way of orbs, which maybe orbs are still something. You know, those little, you know, flecks of dust or bugs in the air. And you take a picture with a flash and, the, and it reflects off the bug or the fleck of dust and it looks like a little circle, this kind of transparent whitish or whatever kind of light color circle in your photograph and and people would say uh, that's a ghost I don't know it's like it's uh, it just it's kind of ridiculous I mean really this your evidence so of the EVP is the sound of a voice talking or something a baby crying somebody laughing that they didn't that the people while they were investigating they didn't hear it at the time but they were recording and when they played the recording back they could hear it now they played the EVP, and it's supposed to be a whispered voice. I, I, they didn't say what the voice is saying. It just says you, know, you, can, you can hear a whispering voice. Maybe they don't know what the voice is saying. And they slow it down so that you can hear it even better when they slow it down. Okay, fine. So you hear something, I guess. Uh, the TV I was watching, it didn't have the, you know, it wasn't the best quality TV, so I didn't quite hear anything. But I did hear, I, I heard... I suppose that sounds like whispering, I guess, but I, yeah. but I also heard the sound of some kind of machinery running in the background. Well, we find out there was an air conditioner running. So the air conditioner is making noise. Is it that possible that in part of the noise that the air conditioner is making, it's this other noise comes into it, or it affects the recorder in such a way that it just makes this extra sound? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they don't know either. But they, they couple it with the story of a murder in the apartment, the feeling of some sort of spirit presence in the apartment, and now they have this whispered voice. And this is 
unbelievable. Yeah, that is. It's underwhelming. I, I, the segment was over, and I just went, really? That's all you got? That's the best you got? Really? At least you got a trip to New Orleans out of it. And it, it's just... Uh, um, I just... You know, I, 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 I find it difficult to believe that it still goes on. But I guess it does. I guess there's still ghost shows on, on the cable channels. I don't watch them. Um, I just... I don't need to see people walking around in the dark saying, Did you hear that? What was that? Did you see that? What was that? And, and the eerie green glow. This is, this is not how science is done. If there are ghosts, you guys aren't going to find them using the methods you're using. It's, you're just not going to find them. It's just if there are ghosts. we got to figure out what a ghost is. I mean, if you're in... See, we have no idea what a ghost is. We have no idea what the physical properties of a ghost is. We None. We have no idea. We, so we don't know what to measure for. We don't. You guys going in there with your your EMF meters and your and your temperature, your thermometers and and uh, you know your recorders to get EVP. We don't know any of that stuff. I mean, the difference between hunting for ghosts and hunting for Bigfoot, we can at least we as in human beings uh, can at least have a pretty good idea as to what we should be able to find when looking for a Bigfoot. You know, it, it, there are some people that believe Bigfoot is some interdimensional being kind of thing. Well, if that's the case, then it's then it's just some magic being, and there's you know we're not going to find that. But if, like most other people, believe in Bigfoot, believe that it is an actual animal that just hasn't been found yet, and you know, that hasn't been nailed down as to where it is. And, and, and then shown to the world that it actually exists. If it is an animal, there are certain characteristics of an animal that would be living in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, actually in every state of the United States, except for maybe Hawaii, there's a sighting of a Bigfoot. But in the Pacific Northwest, it wouldn't, then we would know that, well, it would have to be able to, you know, survive in such an environment and to be able to survive in such an environment you know if it is a primate we would expect it to have these attributes and all this we we would know what to be looking for look for hair look for scat look for footprints well we do find footprints don't we <laughs> but we 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 know that there'd be it's essentially what we're looking for to to, to establish that it exists and actually find the, the creature but with a ghost i don't know who knows I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. Going to get political. <laughs> sort of. Uh, after this uh, After this next break. I'm going to run to this break. Uh, might be hitting it a little bit early, but what the hell. Let me hit this break. Um, oh, incidentally, uh, this is going to be an exclusive download-only show. I won't. This won't be going on in the chat room on Saturday night. Um, I won't be available... Uh, to make sure that the show plays and be in the chat room. I have uh, my annual scrub job that I do with the company that I work for. We have that coming up, and so we're going to be doing that Saturday. So this is going to be an exclusive download-only show. So if I go longer than my usual long <laughs> shows, uh, that's because I can, and I'm not worried about anything because this is just going to be a download only. You can get it through iTunes or uh, uh, Podbean or you can go to the uh, ztalkradio.com uh, site and go to the show archives page and look for show number 411. 411. That's what this show is. 411 shows. 
So you can look for it there and download it there. All right, uh, maybe I padded out the time. Oh, I'm just in time now for my break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Ztalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. I shall return. Up on the sand, up on the bay There is a quick and easy way you say Before you illustrate, I'd rather stay I'm not the man you think I am You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. If this station's not your cup of tea... Then drink coffee! 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 Drink coffee! 100% news. 100% information. 100% guarantee. Thought you might say that. <laughs> You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. Um, uh, let's see, I'm, like I said, I was going to go a little political. Uh, have you heard of this thing called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact? Have you heard of that? The, the NIPVIC. Uh, it is an agreement among a group of U.S. states and the District of Columbia to award all their electoral votes to whichever presidential candidate wins the overall popular vote in the 50 states and the District of Columbia. Huh? This is something that's come up because, um, well, in short, uh, people want to get rid of the Electoral College. Uh, because, well, in 2016, Hillary Clinton lost, even though she got something like 3 million votes more than than Donald Trump. And it, I've talked about this before, that there's, there's been times in the past in the history of this country where the person that, the candidate that did not win the popular vote, the nationwide popular vote, did, however, win the electoral college vote, 
and became president. It's happened something like five times in the history of this country. And here's the thing. It's not a perfect system, and it's complex. And it's I, w I don't know if I could design anything better, <laughs> probably worse, but this idea of the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, NIPVIC, um, has, uh, has gotten 14 states to sign on to this and the District of Columbia. And the 14 states are California, Colorado, uh, Con uh, Connecticut, De uh, Delaware, Hawaii, I'm trying to read the, the abbreviations, sorry, uh, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New, Mexico, uh, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington State, and then the District of Columbia. New Mexico is the, new, is the most recent state to sign on to this. And the idea is that um, no matter what way their state goes, if the nation goes to the to want to candidate A these states uh, will give their electoral votes to candidate A as long as the popular vote went to candidate A but the proviso is they need to get enough states to sign on so that they have 270 electoral votes represented and that's the number that's needed to win the uh, uh, presidential election so what they've got at this moment is 189, so they're short. So that's not—they're not going to do it until they get, you know, a few more states to sign on. And and all the states that I mentioned and the District of Columbia all went for Hillary Clinton in 2016. All went for the Democrat. There are five states that went Democrat uh, that have not signed on to this pledge. They are Minnesota. New Hampshire, Nevada, Oregon, and Virginia. Maine is a little tricky because Maine will split the electoral votes in so, on certain occasions. So they have four electoral votes. Three went to Hillary Clinton. One went to Trump. So, but these, but the five I just mentioned, they they went Democrat. So let's say they sign on. So that's another forty votes added to the. 189, so that brings it up to 229. So then I started thinking, let's do a thought experiment here. Let's let's find a few other states to put on this to see, you know, to get it up to the 270 that, that's needed. So what I did was uh, I picked Michigan, North Dakota, Ohio, and Wisconsin. That is a total of 47 electoral votes. If those four states signed on with the, the, the other five that I just mentioned, with the 14 that have signed on and the District of Columbia, that would bring them up to 276 electoral votes. Now I picked Michigan because uh, Michigan has gone Democrat uh, since 1992 and um, except for, with the exception of 2016. And I remember the after the election, the pundits figuring out what the hell happened, what went wrong with for Hillary Clinton, was that part of the reason why she lost was that she assumed Michigan was in the bag. And she didn't really campaign very hard there. Uh, whereas uh, Trump did 
quite a lot of campaigning there. So that they think that that's, that hurt her. So Michigan went Republican. Um, I picked North Dakota as an outlier. North Dakota has gone uh, Republican since uh, 1968. In 1964, it went for uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson. And prior to that, it went for uh, FDR in 1936. Otherwise, <laughs> between 1936 and 1964, it went Republican. From, 19, after, from 1968 up until 2016, it went re Republican. So, you know, the Democrats, you know, but I figured, let's, let's say that the people of North Dakota think, you know, as unlikely as it might be, it, there might come a day when this could benefit a Republican. So they decide to sign on to it. You know, this is just my thought experiment. Go with me. I picked Ohio because Ohio is a swing state. 92-96 uh, went for a Democrat. Uh, 2008, 2008 and 2012 went for a Democrat. Uh, otherwise, it went for a Republican, and it's kind of back and forth, and it's a swing state. Uh, North, uh, Incidentally, Michigan has 16 electoral votes, North Dakota has 3, and Ohio has 18. Uh, Florida is another swing state, or it has been in the last few elections, and that has uh, 29 electoral votes. I decided not to go with that one. Let's just go with, this, the, you know, with Michi Michigan instead, or Ohio instead, I meant. And Wisconsin, Wisconsin has gone Democrat since 1988, with the exception of 2016, where it went for a Republican. And I remember that one being razor thin. You know, it's just like Trump barely won it, That's as, as I recall. So let's say those four states jump onto this. Now, let's say this all happened before 2016. So we get all these 23 states and the District of Columbia. They've all signed on to the, the NIPVIC, and 2016 happens. And it happens exactly the same way. Hillary gets 3 million more popular votes. All the states that go for whoever candidate, they go for the same candidates. At the Electoral College would have thrown it to Trump because Hillary only got 232 electoral votes and Trump got 306. But this proviso was in place. This pledge was in place. So all those states you know, that, that, that have signed on would say, well, we signed on to this thing, so we're throwing our electoral votes to Hillary Clinton. That wouldn't have been a big deal for Minnesota, New Hampshire, Vermont, Oregon, and, and Virginia because those states did go to Hillary. But Michigan, North Dakota, Ohio, and Wisconsin didn't. So aren't we, wouldn't we essentially, if, if this had happened, wouldn't that be disenfranchising an entire state? And we were, you know, every vote must count. We must count every vote. Wouldn't we be just, you know, the state, see, you know, the, the, the way this, the system is now, you know, Minnesota in 1984 was the only state that, that went for Walter Mondale. All the rest of the states, all the rest of, of this country, except for the uh, District of Columbia, all the rest went for Ronald Reagan. And Minnesota was able to say, you know, don't blame me. <laughs> I voted for Mondale. You know, if something went, you know, ran contra or something, hey, don't blame us. We voted for Mondale. There's, the system is, I mean, that's what I found out. When I looked at this thing, I said, you know, the system isn't perfect. Let's say, let's say 
Everything's the same in 2016 in my scenario here, except New Mexico, the newest state that has signed on to it. Their elect five electoral votes, they didn't sign. They, they, let's say New, uh, New Mexico went for Trump. And let's say Trump won by like three points. You know, not a real razor-thin margin, not like a one point or a half a point, but by three points. But that doesn't represent enough votes to top the three million. That uh, you know, to to eat it would eat into that three million a little bit, but not enough to erode it. And Hillary would have still had the majority of the popular vote. Well, wouldn't we be saying, well, sorry, New Mexico, you signed on to this. You you just you just negated your your state's vote, your majority. You just negated them. Isn't that what's happening? Isn't that what would happen if something like that? So I mean, I I know the arguments about why we don't just go with a popular vote, just straight up popular vote, because that means that the attention goes to all the high population centers and the rural areas of the country can just you know, fend, for the, fend for yourself. You're not going to get the representation. And then I know the counter argument to that. Well, the rural areas are getting too much compensation for for the amount of population that they represent. They're, they're overrepresented where urban areas aren't represented well enough. It's, it's, if there's one thing that this thought experiment did for me, was to confirm that this whole process is complicated and there isn't an easy solution. I don't know that this pledge is an end round of the Constitution because I think you know the Constitution allows the states. I I, I know that the Constitution allows the states to to run their own elections, and if the state decides we're going to allocate our electoral votes to whoever wins the popular vote through the nation, well. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is that an end, round, end run of the Constitution? Would it end up in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, and it to, to see if this is a constitutional thing? I don't know. But it just seems to me like it's not counting every vote, and it's just it's or it's discounting those votes. Oh, sorry, your state may have gone for you know for the Republican or gone for the Democrat, but you know. Candidate, you know, might have gone for candidate A, but candidate B got the popular vote, so sorry. I just, something seems uncomfortable with me. It just doesn't set right for me. I watched an absolutely, what I think, was a horrible movie the other day. It's, it was horrible. It was, it, it's from 1963. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Now, I'd seen bits and pieces of it from when I was a kid, and I, I'm not sure what I thought of it at those times. It's just I, I just remember seeing bits and pieces of it. And the, 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 uh, a while back at the store, I saw that there was a DVD copy of, of the movie uh, at the Nostalgia Zone store in Minneapolis, and the comic book store that I do some work for. And I thought, oh, well, I'm going to borrow this, and I'm going to watch it. And it's just... I should watch this. It's a classic. It's a classic comedy. It's madcap. It's crazy. Uh, it's got a bunch of really talented comedians from the you know, the old school comedian types. That's horrible. It's absolutely. It's it just fell completely flat for me. It, I had no chuckles in, in it. Well, I had one chuckle in the movie. Ethel Merman is 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 uh, supposed to be. Uh, you know, She's well. If you know who Ethel Merman is, she has quite a voice. She can project. She's loud, brash. Just has this real big, booming voice. 
So the director, Stanley Kramer, who was not known for doing comedies at the time, he took her aside, and I think he talked to her like this. And he says, Ethel, what I want you to do is, when you're playing your part here, I want you to think of an air raid siren. And, and you know how loud and, and, and shrill and urgent those things can be. Right? But instead of the usual air raid siren sound that we think of when we hear it, instead of that, I want you to imagine at that, that volume, at that pitch, at that whatever we call it coming out of that, 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 that speaker that lets out that, that PA system that lets out that siren sound. Instead of the siren, you, it's the sound of nails scratching on a chalkboard. Okay? Okay, now I want you to take that sound and I want you to multiply it. Turn that volume up by a thousand. You got that in your mind? You got that? And she says, yeah, I got that. Okay, now double it. Okay, that's how I want you to deliver 90% of your dialogue. I want your voice to be a nail piercing the brains of people watching this thing. I want it to be as painful as possible. And it, I mean, that's how it was for me. I just went, and it's two and a half hours long. And it does have like an eight hour, uh, eight minute intermission. I got to the intermission and I turned to my, I was watching on a laptop with the headphones and I turned to my wife and she looked at me and says, it's not very good. And I said, it's horrible. It's not funny. It's, it's just, it's just, everything was falling flat. It, I thought it was stupid. I didn't think, I just, it was just, it was, the characters in the movie should have died several times over. It, they should have. And God, it had Miss Milton Berle, it had Mickey Rooney, it had Buddy Hackett, uh, Phil Silvers, uh, Ethel Merman, I mentioned her. It had uh, uh, Sid Caesar. Uh, Spencer Tracy was the one character that had a, that you felt sympathetic toward. And he's playing a cop. Uh, that's going to be retiring. He's a captain. Captain T.J. Culpepper. And there was this case from 15 years prior. It was a robbery that uh, the guys got away with $350,000. Now, at the beginning of the movie, Jimmy Durante plays this, this fellow that's driving super maniacally through the desert highway, and he's passing these four vehicles that are going along, and he goes off the road and crashes, gets thrown from his vehicle. How he, But he ends up dying later in the film people get thrown through walls and they don't die but this guy dies but before he does he tells these these drivers of these vehicles they come down to check on them he tells these these characters he says uh, there's $350 buried in this park uh, in this town and just look for the big W look for the big W look for the big W you, you know, so and then it just madcapness happens after that they end up in the park they find the big W. It's four pine trees that are planted in such a way that they make a W. They dig it up. They, there's the suitcase. Well, Spencer Tracy's character is there. Now, he had set it up. Now, if you're smart and you're watching the movie, you know that he's decided, look, I'm getting out of here. His wife and his his daughter are driving him crazy. He's he's not going to have a good pension. He's thinking of that $350,000. He's... He's got a plan, and we know he's got a plan. He looks at a map, he looks at the border, and he sees Mexico. And so we know he's got a plan. He tells his other cops that this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get there. I'm going to wrangle these people for it. We're going to let them lead us right to this money. 
and uh, I'll get the money, and uh, we'll we'll get the people to come in. But I I need all the police officers out of there. I don't want any of them there. I don't want them to get them spooked. I'll I'll handle it. And of course, he's a trusted officer, so they do it. So what does he do? He does just that. They dig it up. They see that it's got the three hundred fifty thousand dollars in it, and he says, "All right, you know, hand it over." And he tells them, "All right, you've got two cabs here. It's involved, but you got two cabs. All of you. It's about like fifteen people now." Get in the cabs, go to the police department, and turn yourselves in. Juries will take that into account. You're basically good people, except for Phil Silvers. He's a con man. But, you know, you're basically good people, and uh, you just got carried away in this, uh, so turn yourselves in. And they go. They agree to do that, and they take off. Well, he, he says, I'll take care of the money. And he was gonna. He, he gives them the impression that he's going to follow them in to the police station. Well, he goes the other way. They see that car chase happens, and then a foot chase happens that goes up a, uh, that ends up going up to the roof of a, of a skyscraper, or, well, a tall building, maybe not a skyscraper, but a tall building that apparently was condemned because it looks like it's abandoned and whatever. And so they, it, you know, he runs up, which is, my, I remember my, as a kid, my dad would say, that is one of the most stupid things he ever sees in movies. That when someone's being chased, they run, they, they run up to a tower and they go to the top. He says, once you get to the top, where do you got to go? <laughs> you don't go up. You <laughs> you don't run up something. Because once you get to the top, what are you going to do? Anyway, so this old guy, Spencer Tracy, he's an old guy. He's, he's outrunning these younger guys with the suitcase of money. He gets up to the roof, climbs over the side onto a fire escape. The guys catch up to him. Can you guess what happens to the money? There's a huge group of people in the park in front of the building for some whatever reason. I think there was a scene that there was probably cut out where they established that they're going to be tearing down this building and there are people going to be watching because it looks like there was construction crew there. And and so this crew, the people look up and the one guy starts yelling up to him, says, get off that fire escape, it's not safe. You know, And they're struggling for the suitcase. Can you guess what happens? Yes. The suitcase opens up and all the money flows out and all the people down there get the money. And then the fire escape starts to fall off the wall. A uh, fire truck comes up with a uh, with an impossibly long hook and ladder th- kind of setup, and the ladder goes up, and the guys all just most of them all jump onto the ladder, but none of them climb down. The ladder starts flopping back and forth. A few of the guys get thrown off onto a, a palm tree. The guys then are just being individually thrown across the city into buildings, you know, through windows, through walls. Through floors, uh, one guy crashes into a koi pond that has a wooden bridge over the top of it. He crashes right through the bridge, and you know, and none of them die. They all end up in this hospital ward. Now the women aren't allowed to run after him because you know that's women aren't allowed. They said, "You guys, you women, stay here. We'll get them." So they're all okay physically anyway. And so all the guys are in a ward, in a hospital wing, and they're all in body casts and traction and all that, and they're all mad at the cop. You know, if it wasn't for you, we'd have got to wait, blah, blah, and they're all yelling. And Buddy Hackett is eating a banana. For some reason, he's eating a banana. Why is he eating a banana? Well, because you know why? Because he's going to finish the banana and throw the banana peel onto the floor, right in the middle of the, you know, right in the middle of the floor, where somebody could step on it, which is what happens. It's a banana peel joke. Ethel Merman comes in. She's got the air raid voice going. She's yelling at the guys. She slips on the banana and falls, and... This gets all the guys started to laugh. Now, this happens just after Spencer Tracy says to himself, oh, if I could just have something else to laugh about, something to laugh about. And, you know, just, you know, he says lines like that, along that line. And then Ethel Merman comes in, falls down. All the guys start breaking up laughing. And then, of course, Spencer Tracy laughs. And then it's the end. Isn't that wonderful? It was, it was awful. It was awful to me. 
you, I, I know just people out there that like the movie, that think it's a classic. It, I think it's a pity. I, there was just there was a one chuckle at the beginning. And that all the you know when Ethel Merman's in there and all they're they're all this, the the people are deciding to go after this money, and they keep calling her an old bag. I found that kind of funny. I mean, right to her face. Well, the old bag. Don't listen to the old bag. And she's standing right there. I, I thought that was a chuckle worthy, but the rest of it was just painfully, painfully bad <laughs> to me. I mean, a banana peel joke, really. And it's, don't think that I don't like madcap stuff. I can like madcap stuff. I like the Marx Brothers. There's a movie that came out in the early 70s called What's Up, Doc? Uh, it's directed by uh, um, Peter Bogdanovich, and it stars uh, Barbara Streisand and, and, and uh, um, Ryan O'Neill. And it has a bunch of uh, stars in it, too. But, you know, well, but not quite the same gimmick as the as, as Mad, 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 Mad World. But that's madcap and screwball and all that, but that's a lot funnier. Now maybe the difference is I saw that movie when I was a kid, and I still, and I've seen it recently, and I still think it's it holds up. I didn't see the Mad World thing when I was a kid. Maybe that's the difference. I don't know. It's horrible. <laughs> I would have liked, and I thought the movie was heading toward this ending. We know that Captain Culpepper, uh, uh, Spencer Tracy. We know he's planned something. He's going to take that money. He's got it all. He's got the deck set up. He's going to take the money. And and so he, he tells them, get into the cab, go to the police station. I'll follow with the money. Turn yourselves in. They, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And they all get in the cab, and they head there, and they, they, they drive off, and he follows behind his car, and he's just a few seconds behind them. They get down to the intersection. All the, the two cabs turn left. And a few seconds after they all turn left, his car comes down, going a little slow. He's in no hurry. He stops. We see Spencer Tracy look left. He looks right. And then we see him turn to the right. And he heads off. Now, we the people don't realize that he's head off. They get to the police station. They go in. It's all cacophony. You know, it's all them screaming and yelling and yelling at each other. It's your fault, blah, blah. You know, they're turning themselves in. And the chief of police is there, played by William Demarest. And he tells everybody to pipe down. He finally gets them all to shut up. And he's, you know, he, you know, just to yell at them for a, a few seconds. He has to tell them to shut up several times because that's how this movie goes. Because 75% of the dialogue in the movie is just shouting. Anyway, so he gets them all to pipe down. He says, all right, where is Captain Culpepper? And that's when, you know, Mickey Rooney looks around and says, what? What? He was, he was coming, he was following behind us. He was bringing the money with him. With He says, that dirty double-crosser. And then it turns into cacophony again, and they're screaming and yelling at each other, and you see William Demarest looking like he's going to lose his mind. And we cut to a scene with, looking at uh, Spencer Tracy's, He's driving his car, and he's crossing the Mexican border. He looks over, sees the suitcase sitting on the seat in front of him, uh, next to him, and he looks off at the road serenely. We watch him drive into Mexico, and the one sympathetic character in the entire movie gets the money. Now, I would have been happy with that ending, but no, they had to go for this crazy nonsense. Ugh, it's terrible, but it might be your thing. What do you? Know? What do we know? Um, I have three cool things. And uh, I'm going to take a little time. Like I said, this is a download-only show, so I'm going to take a little time here. My three cool things. Uh, number one, there's a photograph that I saw 
on the internet. So I'll put it up on the show notes page, which you can get to by going to dimland.com. Click the blog option. You'll find the show notes page. That'll probably, eh, it'll all be up. All this will probably go up sometime on Sunday. I, 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 we'll see. We'll see when I get all this up because of the big job I got to do. But anyway, um, the uh, you just go to dimland.com, click on the blog option, and you'll get to the show notes. And you'll see this photograph of the actor Max Schreck. This is from 1921-22, the movie uh, Nosferatu, which was released in 1922. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, an adaptation of the Dracula story. And Max Schreck plays this character named Orlock. I think it's Orlock. And there's, the picture is of him taking a little break. He's sitting down, he's on set, he's just sitting and he's looking at the camera and he's just he's sitting there and he's looking creepy as all hell. And that's the story of the photograph. I hope that's true. I hope that's, you know, because I don't recognize it as a scene from the film, but I hope that's, I think it's just really cool that if this is a, a, a shot of, uh, a rare shot of him uh, behind the scenes kind of thing while the movie was being produced, I think that's pretty cool. If it's not, it's still a cool looking picture. If that story isn't true, it's still a cool picture. Number two, the band Jefferson Airplane uh, started out promisingly. Uh, actually, they, 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 they did their best stuff right at the beginning, and it was a slow decline to the worst song ever recorded ever in pop music history, We Built This City. <laughs> but when they started... They were, you know, they had the psychedelic stuff going. They were part of the San Francisco music movement, the Haight-Ashbury scene, all that kind of stuff. And so they came up with a song called White Rabbit. It's a really short song, but it's really cool. I think it's a pretty good song. And Grace Slick is the uh, lead singer. And on YouTube, and I'll link to it on the show notes, there is an isolated vocal track for their song White Rabbit. And you just listen to her saying she starts off with this, you know, the, with the, you know, building tension through the song. It just builds the tension. She kind of comes up and up and up as she goes through. She's just building it there. You know, one pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. And the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. But she sings it much better than I just did. And and it, she just and it just starts to build and build and build until she's at the end where she's saying, you know, as the dormouse said, free your head, free your head. And she's belting that out to the back row. It's really great. I mean, it's it's you know she's got an echo effect on her, or maybe she's in a, an empty hall or something. However, they got the echo effect. No auto tune. She pulls it off. I don't know if that's all one take or if it's little best takes here, best takes there. I don't know, but it's really pretty neat. And it's it's and when you see here's that, you realize the talent that the band had and that she had, that they would devolve into Starship and create the crappiest song that I can think of called We Built This City. You know, one pill makes you larger, one pill makes you small, and the ones that Mother gives you don't do anything at all devolved into knee-deep in the hoopla. I mean, ugh, it's just such a, ugh, such a bad... But that's a cool moment. And the number three cool thing, you may have seen it on my Facebook page, uh, last weekend, I was at the at the comic book store, Nostalgia Zone. It's in Minneapolis. You can look it up online, nostalgiazone.com. You can order comics through the website if you want comic books. Or you can come to the store if you're in Minneapolis. Check it out. I was down in the basement, 
and I was just kind of putzing around looking at, you know, because I hadn't done a look around for a while just to see what's in there. And I spotted this half a globe, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the northern hemisphere. And off the back of the globe was just like a hole punched through the, the crust of the earth from inside. This arm was coming out with three digits. There's this big gray arm with this hand with three digits as the, the, the three digits were placing the, the tips of those fingers on the, on the globe. And I found that half of it. I thought, that's cool. I'm going to see what Dave knows about this. And, I, and see if, you know, what, they, what they're asking for. And I'd kind of like to have this. So I brought it upstairs. And said, you know, or actually, I took a picture of it. And I showed it to Dave, what is this? And he said, oh, some guy gave that to us and brought it in. It's, uh, I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, he, 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 uh, he was at that point. And I, I said, they just gave it to us? And he said, yeah. I said, I kind of like to have it. And he says, yeah, you can have it. Didn't cost us anything. You got to have it. But he said, but there's another half of it that you have to, if you're, you're going to take it, you're going to take the whole thing. So there was a bottom half of it, the southern hemisphere, and, and a little mounting on there. And, it, and the mounting part, that it sets on it says War of the Worlds, and on the back it says Paramount, for the studio. And the the inside of it looks like a bunch of crushed ice, and there's these slots in there. And we figured that the slots would be for um, uh, the larger slot was for uh, uh, laser disc, and maybe the the smaller slots were for books or for VHS or for the the, the compact disc. You know, whatever might be available, we're not sure. And we and Dave figured it was Dave's the manager of the store. He figured it was um, probably some video display, you know, store in a uh, display in a video store or something like that. So I, I took it and I put it up on Facebook and he, and it's just really cool. We got it. It's big and we got it sitting out on the uh, on the porch on our table out on the porch. Um, but I I put it up on Facebook and this is the other thing that's cool about it. When you want, this is something that is cool about the internet. If you don't know something, if you're trying to find some information, hey, does anybody have any idea what this is? And you put a picture up, or you put an article up, or you know something like that. There's the this this knowledge that's out there where people have bits and pieces of knowledge that not everybody has, and or they have they know something. And so I put this up there, and uh, somebody that's one of the uh, he's a member of the Minnesota Skeptics, he's a Facebook friend of mine. He saw it and he pinpointed what that is from. What it, I mean, what this War of the Worlds thing is. He says, "Well, it was a TV series that was on in Canada, and that's true. It, there was if from 1988 to 1990, there was a TV series called the War of the Worlds, produced in Canada. I don't know if it was ever shown in the states. And there's a, I'll put this on the show notes. There's a uh, um, uh, a clip uh, or a uh, a promo for." This series, and it looks really cheesy. It, does, it doesn't look like it has, you know, it has very good effects in it, or you know, it looks kind of cheap. But anyway, it's very dramatic. Um, and in toward the end of this clip, which is about a minute and twenty seconds or something like that, toward the end of it, there's an animation of the there's the globe of the Earth you see it from space, and this hand comes up with three fingers or three digits on it, comes up from behind and and, and places the tips of their fingers on the globe and say, there there's your poop there it is there it is right there that's cool so it's cool uh it's 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 i didn't expect to see that down there it's weird with things you can find but uh uh that's that's my three third 
cool thing of my three cool things. And I, th I hope you've had at least three cool things happen for you this week. Good night, our doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. So I did a little bit of an expanded show uh, because this is a download-only episode of Dimland Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, be skeptical. Read the articles. Don't just go by the headlines. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network, the download-exclusive version. And uh, I'm uh, here at ZTalk Radio, and I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm going to hell. Oh. I almost forgot. Uh, the 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 there was there was a moment in in it's a mad 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 world. Uh, but a friend of mine said, "Well, you know, it was disappointing because of all the comedic talent that was in it, but it had its moments." And I said, "No, no moments, no moments, not one, not mo no moments at all." And then he shared with me a YouTube clip of uh, one moment. And that moment was uh, when uh, Barry Chase, that's a woman, shows up on screen. She's wearing a black bikini and she's doing a, a bit of a jerky twist dance to some hip cool music. And she has this look on her face which is just deadpan stern. Doesn't, no, doesn't crack a smile. She's not exactly frowning, but she's just got this look and she's doing this, this dance. And while she's on screen, by herself, she looks fine. That's a moment. But then Dick Sean jumps in. Dick Sean's a, a comedic actor, comedian guy from, from back in the 60s. And he, he was a, kind of one of those way out wacky dudes and real hip and groovy kind of guy too. And he comes in there and he's doing, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. He's dancing with her and he's just wearing red swim trunks, which are just a little too small. Just... 
just another couple inches of leg to those shorts because I swear his ball sack was gonna was on the verge of dropping out at any second. It felt dangerous, but he comes in there, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, and he's doing all this crap while she was doing her cool dance. Until he jumped on the screen, that was a moment. So, I guess, okay, now I will, uh, 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 I will allow my, the end of the show to continue with, uh, with my little 